0: Um, and so you almost hear it in the word, we need a reformation. We need a re, uh, We need to analyze our, our situation and discover that these things are still needed. Here's an overview of the five sole or solas, Latin again meaning the word alone. In fact, we, we're, we, we saw it in our song, didn't we? Um, we have, first of all, uh, sola scriptura, which is God's word alone. Uh, We have sola fide, which is faith alone. It goes in kind of a different order in the song. We have sola gratia, which is grace alone. We have sola Christus, which is Christ alone. And then the whole chorus was glory be to God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. So here they are again, sola scriptura. The idea that the foundation for faith and practice is the Bible alone. If you want to do it this way, you know, I don't like doing necessarily a, a screen for our sermons because I think it takes us away from the scripture but if you if you draw a a, if you're taking notes and you draw like a chart with you know on this side that sola scriptura right that's or you would be on the left side right sola scriptura is the bible alone well every roman catholic practice at the time was a combination of the thing that is sola and something else It's a combination of the Bible and something else. It's a combination of Christ and something else. It's a combination of grace and something else. It's a combination of faith and something else. It's a combination of God's glory and something else. So on the left side of your column, you have sola scriptura, which we all say amen to, right? The Bible alone is our authority for everything we believe and everything we do. Another advertisement is we have men's theology breakfast every Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock, and we had a fantastic study this week. And something we always have been reminding ourselves in the study of the Bible, which is what we're in right now in our reading, is we've heard this phrase, and I've said this before, is that people say, well, God settles it. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. That is ridiculous. That's humanistic. You don't need to say, I believe it, so that settles it. If God said it, that settles it. The Bible is the final authority. Well, on the right side of the column... The Roman Catholics believed that it was, again, combination. Combination of the Scriptures as well as sacred tradition, as well as the teachings of the Church, and finally, of course, the teachings of the Pope. All those things had authority. Yes, the Bible has authority, but also the Church has authority, the Pope has authority, our traditions have authority, and other sacred writings have authority as well. We renounce that. You understand that? We reject that. Scripture alone has authority. Second in the column would be sola gratia, grace, alone. We believe that it is by grace alone that we have been saved. Well, on the combination side, it's a combination of God's grace as well as what? Can anybody answer? I mean, let's answer. God's grace as well as? Yeah, our merit. This is the combination side. Did you say nothing, Derek? Yeah, you're like, you're like wanting to stay on the left side of the column. It's like, no, we're, we're not going to that right side, which is good. Nothing else. Come on! But we're just, we're just bear with us, Derek. These are just the false teachings, okay? We're just... Ex- <laughs> It's also our merits, our penance, our good works, as well as the merits of other saints who have gone before us. We rest upon their merits as well, like the merits of our parents or grandparents or etc. That was the Roman Catholic dogma at the time. False. We reject that. Thirdly, sola fide, by faith alone. This is what Martin Luther really wrestled with when he came to Romans 1:16 and 17. Uh, the just shall live by faith. Right. It is by faith alone that we are declared righteous in God's sight. It is not, right side of the column, the combination of the, the works and words that we produce as well. In other words, the Roman Catholic teaching is that, well, yeah, God gives us that righteousness and then we do those good works and we're justified by a combination of those things. We reject that. Okay, We believe it is by grace alone, by faith alone. Number four in the column, solus Christus by Christ alone it is the merit of Christ alone we sing these songs much of our songs are sprinkled with these five doctrines Christ is sufficient that is all we need we do not approach God through any other means other side combination we do not approach him through Mary we do not approach him through other Saints who pray and intercede on our behalf we do not approach him through the church through clergy we do not have to come any other way except by Christ. And of course, the final one only makes sense. Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Because if any of the previous things are true, if there is something besides grace, if there is something besides faith, is there, any if there is anyone besides Christ who is adding to our salvation, then they get credit too. They get glory too. God alone who saves Christ through faith and grace alone who saves, then God alone receives the glory for salvation. But if I am adding something to it, then I deserve credit and I deserve glory. We renounce that. The right side of the column would say that glory belongs as a combination. Partly... What do we do with it? Do we seek to escape from it? Do we live a life of, of isolation? Do we simply escape from the culture? Say we want nothing to do with that? Well, what kind of impact can we have on the culture if we simply live a life of escapism and we avoid any contact with anyone in the world? Do we uh, engage the culture? So do we escape it? Do we engage it? Do we, do we go to it and, and seek to Dialogue with the culture and and share our beliefs and listen and hear their thoughts? Or do we embrace the culture with all that it is, right? We just, culture is not evil, we just embrace it. Do we escape it, engage it, or embrace it? We have to somehow learn to engage the culture without escaping or embracing it. We have to somehow dialogue with unbelievers and share with them the gospel of Christ without becoming like them. It's a dangerous balancing act romans 12 2 says don't let the culture don't let the age form you into its image and we have embraced that culture which is why some even professing believers think it's strange when you suggest things like abstinence before marriage or refraining from drunkenness or the weird sermon series that we did a few months ago that the lord's day is set apart and sacred and holy that that we should maintain integrity in all things. And I'm shocked to try to explain to students at school and other adults who claim to be believers that you shouldn't be watching The Walking Dead or Game of Thrones, that somehow we have to, we have to explain that these, these cultural mindsets are, do not mesh with Christianity because the church at large has embraced, embraced these, quote, isms. James Montgomery Boyce, a pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church, he died in the year 2000, and he mentioned six enemies of the culture. This was 17 years ago. So you can imagine that they've increased in their severity over the last 17 years. Again, I'm, I'm moving real fast, but I want to mention those, and I credit him, and that he says these six isms, these six um, these six, uh uh, beliefs and and theories that the culture subscribes to are things that the church has embraced and you can you probably recognize some of them and l- Let's go through them quickly first is secularism Secularism of course the definition of secular is the idea of anything that pertains simply to this present world um, it, it is a worldview or a mindset where we are only concerned with what we see touch feel the material universe our experience is thought of as the here and now. We never think about the there and then. Eternity is not given a thought. In fact, the new phrase, this is, this, I mean, Boyce wouldn't have known this, but it's the new phrase, wear the hat, wear the shirt, YOLO, right? You're all looking at me like you don't know what that means. YOLO? You only live once. You only live, that's a big thing now. You only live once. This is, this is evident of the mindset of secularism. Why were you? and supremacy to humans rather than to the divine. They emphasize common needs and they seek only human ways of solving human problems. What this leads to is a deifying of humans. In fact, this is as old as Satan coming to Eve and saying, God doesn't want you to do this because he knows you will be like God. That's a humanistic thing. I, I want to be the supreme and prime importance. Relativism, number three. We're getting into some real uh, ones that I don't have to explain very much. Relativism, truth, morality, ethics are not absolute. They change with our situation, uh, with our culture. Um, we, We tolerate everything. Why would anyone this week be celebrating the death of Hugh Hefner and commemorating a man who propagated such corrupt wickedness, right? Think about the relativism of our culture. Let, let, me, let me speak, uh, uh, this is dangerous because I don't like, I, I'm not talking about politics or anything, but Trump has done some very terrible things and said terrible things about women and, and that sort of thing. Everybody agree with that, right? No question. And, and he should be denounced for those things and then you hefner is is raised up we as christians renounce who both we renounce all of that behavior as ungodly correct it's not relativism well this guy this guy i mean i i can't believe anyone would celebrate that people would say things like well we don't live in the 40s anymore or the 50s all those old-fashioned values culture is changing and so is truth and morality the only standard for morality and truth is how I feel at the moment. We were just watching a, we were just watching a, uh, a television show last night that we really enjoy, uh, one that was made a long time ago, but we, we put it on, and, and one of the lines in it was, um, don't, don't measure your happiness by what you do but by how you feel. I thought, okay, that, that is just that, is that mindset. Right? That is that relativistic mindset. We don't have to, we, you know, The only only rule is our own, our own standards. Fourthly, materialism. We have secularism, humanism, relativism, materialism. This is the philosophy that earthly goods and earthly values are superior to spiritual ones. We pursue riches, fame, things, and pleasure. Is there anything more ridiculous than uh, than the Apple guy announcing the iPhone 8 is out and five minutes later saying the iPhone 10 is coming? Is there anything more idiotic than that? i got to have the iPhone 8, but you're really going to want the iPhone 10. How the the pursuit of material goods is ridiculous where we think enjoyment and pleasure comes from things. Mention his names. I'll mention his name. T.D. Jakes. Everybody should gasp when I say that. Tweeted this this week. If you obey God, you will never be broke a day in your life. We're doing something wrong. <laughs> that is the materialistic mindset, and it ties in with this thought. Number five, going quickly, and I'm so sorry. Pragmatism. We assign the value of an idea to whether or not it works or not. Right? It, it, the only thing that matters is if it succeeded or failed. Did it work? It's okay. The claim is, if it works for me, I justify that behavior, and the church has fallen prey to that tactic as well. And I'm going to mention how the church falls into that All six ways in a minute, but I'm first listing the six. The last thing is mindlessness. I thought for Boyce 17 years ago, how does this fit in? Mindlessness. I get all the isms, right? Secularism, humanism, materialism, relativism, pragmatism. Mindlessness. Here's what he said. He said, we have lost the inability to look at life in a thoughtful way. And he blamed TV. This was before the Internet freaked out. We are too busy to think because we are working to make money to pursue pleasure. We don't think because we're rushing around to every activity, and we don't think because we flip on the TV or surf the web because we want to find the next squirrel video to watch. I was sitting at Tim Hortons. I, I, I was at school in Davison, and I had a break, and I, I went to grab a coffee. It was like, I think it was around 1 o'clock. School was messed up that day. And uh, I sat down, I got my church history book out, and all of a sudden there were, I think there were probably 200 middle schoolers coming in. I was like, what is going, it's like middle of the day. So they apparently had had a, uh, had had a uh, early dismissal. And they're all coming into Tim Hortons. So it was like church history is over. Um, and mostly girls, mostly middle school girls. That doesn't matter. But every single one, I did not notice one without a phone. I did not notice one of them. I was looking for one without a phone. And they sat at a table with each other, everyone doing this. And they don't carry it in there. They're all walking in carrying it. Like, like it, it, is, it is almost like sewn on. I can't miss this Snapchat. I can't miss this. I, and, and we have fallen so prey to technology that we can't think try to keep your i'm trying to keep your attention now i think about this churches around the country are trying to keep people's attention for 20 minutes of a of a lecture this is why this is why. hey watch this next clip of andy griffith that'll get you back or watch me juggle so, you know uh, chainsaws on fire and this will entertain you people can't rationally think because we're mindless These are cultural patterns of the age, and you know what? They're not just out there. They're not just out there. This is the need for a reformation because they have come into the church. How? Secularism. Our churches are now designed like theaters where challenging talks are presented in a dark room and dramas are acted out and where the music mimics the godless music of our age. Humanism. The good of mankind becomes the theme of every message. Sermons are all human focused. There are series about how to get out of debt, avoid depression, be happy, or even enjoy sex. These have all replaced thoughtful, theological, expositional, God centered preaching. Relativism since culture doesn't believe in absolutes, we must not present a message that sounds intolerant. We must be inclusive. We must not say, Thus saith the Lord. Opinions have become facts, and facts become opinions. And even when we speak of the gospel, what we say to people is, let me tell you what this has done for me. That's relativism. Instead of saying, let me share what Christ has done for us all. Materialism. The gospel is marketed. It is packaged as a product for sale. Pragmatism. If it works, it's okay. If it brings a crowd in, it must be good. I heard a pastor say how people complained about him. I think this was the same pastor that played ACDC Highway to Hell on Easter Sunday. And said I'm saving people from a fire and everyone else is just complaining about how I do it that's pragmatism Paul said in Philippians I am glad that Christ is preached even out of selfish envy and motive he doesn't say I'm going to do that too second Corinthians 2 says we don't package the gospel we don't we don't deceive people mindlessness well the shorter sermons the better As I said, include a video clip. Don't make us think or memorize verses or study. Preacher, you better hold my attention. You better be funny. You better be engaging. With all that in mind, we need reformation. We're in Psalm 19. I said I had a lot to say today. We haven't even gotten to the message yet. I'm just informing you that this is needed. Is it needed? It is needed so bad. And you know who needs it the most? Me. I need it. Are you kidding? Some of these things are convicting to me. Sola Scriptura, Psalm 19. Dave read it, but let's reread the section that we're specifically focusing on, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Let me take a breath and slow down so we can grab this here. Verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean enduring forever the rules of the lord are true and righteous altogether more to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb moreover by your by them is your servant warned in keeping them there is great reward these truths these solas, fueled the changes that the reformation brought about And what we must today realize and believe in and accept is the Bible's authority and its sufficiency. The Bible's authority and its sufficiency. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. I discussed before, how the great saints in history memorized Psalm 119. David Livingstone walked around uh, memorizing Psalm 119. The importance of the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. Folks, we need more Bible. I need more Bible. So what we have here in Psalm 19 is really a sevenfold description of the beauty of God's Word. It's uh, it's pictured in... An, in uh, a, a synonym, like it's given law, rules, precepts, testimonies, all those. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna separate ourselves from those for now. But what we want to see is it, it gives it a description and it gives it an action. And that's what I want to look at. And, and I wish we, we should do five weeks on it, but it's just meant to be kind of an, just an instigator to our own souls to get us to think about this more. So let's walk through the seven real quickly together. First of all, again, we're ignoring the, the synonym, so we're just going to the law. It says law, testimony, precepts, commandments, fear, etc. But it says perfect and revives. Okay? So scripture is perfect and it revives. That's number one. The word perfect here means blameless, and more than half the times it's used in the Old Testament, can you imagine what it's used for? More than half the times, blameless? It's used of the animal to be sacrificed. Remember, you needed a blameless animal. Perfect. Perfect. When it's used in other contexts, like time. It's used like of a completeness, like a, a complete year or a complete day. Um, and what it refers to is the blamelessness and the perfectness of God's law. It covers every area of our lives. The Bible is not deficient in any way. Judah celebrated his 13th birthday last week, and we, uh, when they're 13, we do a special thing with them, and I... I Give the children a verse when they turn 13. Um, and I think about it for a long time, and I, I, I decided on this verse for Judah. It's real close to our passage. It's Psalm 18, verse 30 and 31. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? What we must instill in ourselves and in the people that we love is that God's way is the right way. God's word is perfect and sufficient and complete. And because it is perfect and blameless and not deficient in any way, it is able to revive our souls. Other, ver- other translations use the word convert or return or makes our souls repent. Basically, Spurgeon said in the treasury of David when he talks about this verse that the Bible is able to bring us back from the place where sin has flung us. That's great. Originally, sin has flung us far from the Lord, separated us from God, Isaiah 59.2. The Word alone is able to bring us back. And then when, even when we trust in Him, sin flings us far from God. What is it that brings us back? It is the Scripture it is the Scripture that is needed when we find people out there. And I had a discussion this week with someone who sends their children to church here who was talking to me about some spiritual issues in his life. And, and, and there was a great conversation. Well, what is it, Andy, that is going to bring this guy's soul to a point of conversion? Is it my clever speech? Is it... Is it, is it uh, Is it somehow my personality that is going to cajole him or caress him to becoming a Christian and converting his sin-darkened soul? It is the Word of God alone that will do that because it is blameless. It is perfect. It has the ability in its perfection to cause the sinner, whether a believing or unbelieving sinner, to return and repent. It will accomplish that task. Second, it is perfect, so it revives. Second, you can take the notes before we even get there. It is sure, and so it does what? Someone help me. Make sure you're with me here. Sure, so it makes us wise. Sure here means a secure foundation. It is unassailable. And the Bible has been assailed. I especially like, was it Voltaire who tried to get rid of all the Bibles, and 50 years later his house was a Geneva Bible Society Bible production plant. God is so good. Uh, Listen, you can put your full weight, trust, and dependence on God's Word and find it to be solid and sure. It is reliable, so it provides the wisdom that we need in this world. People who love and study the Bible aren't the morons. 1 Corinthians 1 has it backwards. The wisdom of the the world is foolishness to God. The building picture is here, right? The the foundation of the Word is, is able to build us up in wisdom. And so we reject the wisdom of this age, all that I just mentioned, and tolerance and inclusivity and diversity and the basic goodness of man and all the other isms. But what we accept as sure and as the foundation, I mean, we just went through Matthew, or Luke uh, 6 about the wise and the foolish man and the foundation being the word and our obedience to it. We accept that and we receive it as sure and when we do so, it makes us wise. Number three. It is perfect, so it revives. It is sure, it makes wise. Help me with it. Do it with me. It is what? It is right, and so it. We got, yeah, good, right. It re, it's right, and so it rejoices our heart. Understand this right here does not mean the opposite of wrong. Okay, we, we believe that, but rather it is really the opposite of crooked. When all of the world says this is right, and the Bible says it is wrong, the Bible says it is, that's a crooked way. The Bible is right. We must not ever let the Bible be interpreted through the lens of our culture. And this is what so many are doing with these, with these kind of sins of the day. You know, uh, all this, all this, genderism and 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 uh, homosexuality—they're rewriting the scripture through the lens of their culture, and it's it's unbelievable that they're doing so. Um, the word here, also, the word "right" has the idea of giving directions. <laughs> I like that. Like it—it's it, the idea of a lot, something that helps us to find a place that we've never been before. Okay. So if you don't know if you don't know uh, where something is, you stop at a gas station or you, you you find somebody say how do you get there and how sure or straight are those person's directions? Well, you'll find out when you get there. When someone comes to the scripture and wants to find the path, the path is always straight. It is never crooked. The lifestyle then of a person who does that and adheres to the directions of the Scripture, is one that brings what? What does it do? When you follow that right path, it brings joy. Look at the progression here. Okay? It converts our soul. It brings us back from the place sin has flung us. And then it makes us wise. And then it gives us joy. I would say that of all the things that the world desires, they just want to be happy. People want to be happy. They say things like, I wish I could change, or I wish my life was different. I just wish I was happy. Yet they reject the fountain of joy, the Word of God. Fourth, it's pure, and so it enlightens our eyes. It is perfect, it revives. It is sure, it makes wise. It is right, it brings joy. It is pure, it brings light. The word pure is used of a clean feeding trough in the Bible. It's also used of the idea of something being radiant or pure. A pure and radiant, brilliant light is intended here. And what it indicates is that it provides the light for those who are faithful. Psalm 119, uh, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The combination here makes the most sense, right? The the commandment of the Lord, end of verse 8, is radiant, and so it provides the light. It provides direction. It provides discernment for us it gives us the ability to walk without stumbling because we're on the straight path we're not on the crooked path in the dark we're on the straight path in the light the scripture alone gives that we don't need the latest self-help guru to instruct us about how to find happiness or wisdom or joy or discernment fifth it is clean and so it endures we know that corrupt things decay i had a dentist appointment this week <laughs> we know corrupt things decay oh you got a little problem there I'll look on the x-ray here. See that little dark spot? I like, no, I don't see that. I need to go. Corrupt things decay. Um, right, go to your compost pile at home. Open your garbage can. But there is an unchanging purity to the Word of God. The Word of God will never be in that condition where it wears away. We know that Christ Himself said, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. Even the smallest... Letter, the smallest stroke, will never pass away. And so because it is clean, it will last forever. It endures. We are looking at the same scriptures that Luther studied. And they are as relevant and meaningful today as they were then because it is clean, it endures, and lasts. And it kind of breaks from the pattern here a little bit. Six and seven are kind of together. It is true and it is righteous altogether. The pattern breaks here a little bit. But it, because it is true and righteous, it provides two things. It provides letter A, reward, or excuse me, warning, and it provides letter B, reward. You see that? Let's, let's review the scripture again. This is the end of verse 9. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, and then he breaks off a little bit. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. And by them is your servant warned. Warned against... What? Warn against what? What does the Bible warn you against? Sin. <laughs> yeah, that, I thought that was a beach ball. Sin, and all of its harmful effects, and against the lies and the errors of the world. We need these warnings because the Bible, because the culture, and the devil, who is the prince of the power of this world is clever and pervasive and deceptive. And the only thing that protects us from those things is the Scripture, the Word of God. I have it written in front of one of my Bibles. I always thought it was Moody that said it. Maybe it was someone earlier that said it, John Bunyan. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. The Scripture is the... the The insulation, because it warns us of those deceptions. And second, not only does it warn us, but it rewards us. But notice how it's said. Look at the Scripture, how it's said. It says, in keeping them, there is great reward. It doesn't say the one who keeps them will be rewarded. It says there is reward in keeping them. There is a difference. What it really means is that, as as people have said, virtue or obedience to the scripture is the reward it's not like TD Jake says well if you obey you'll never be broke a day in your life or like Osteen says your promotion is coming your financial breakthrough is coming that's that's ridiculous even though the ungodly do not think so the upright and the righteous are actually blessed in their godliness and in their obedience. To be holy is to be contented. To be righteous is to have joy and wisdom and discernment. We don't obey because we are seeking a reward. Obeying is the reward. I hope you understand that. He goes on to say, the writer says, more to be desired than are they than gold. Is that really so for you? I mean, are you even desiring the word right now as I'm giving it? Where is your appetite for the Bible? Howard Hendricks, I read a book by him years and years ago. He's dead now. But he, he was very helpful in, in kind of, here's how you gauge. I've probably said this before, and I'm sorry. Here's how you gauge your appetite for the word. There's really three categories of people. Some people view it as castor oil. <laughs> But it, but what? It's good for what ails me, right? Some people view it as shredded wheat, kind of dry there, dusty, but it's nourishing. And and Hendricks is saying, and he he uses, he, I think he uses strawberries and cream. I use cookie dough ice cream. Right? Aren't those those three great ways to think about? It? Do I view it as you know, oh, but I got to take it, or you know it nourishes me, but I never find any joy in it, or is it like I gotta have? gallon of it and i just ate some and i want more for you over 50 in the crowd it's butter pecan i know that so we've talked about that before what point are you at what point are you at i think we talk about it a lot we have so many services here where the word is proclaimed are you anxious are you eager are you even tracking with me right now what position does your bible have in your home in your life do you read it yourself do you listen to it I think the most dangerous thing for us and for me is to claim that the Bible is important, authoritative, inerrant, inspired, relevant, and all the rest. But in reality, it's not really so in my life. That's the greatest danger. The Bible is the God breathed word. It is not that God breathed on the words and that kind of something magically happened to what was written. He didn't breathe on the words. He breathed out the words so that the Word of God is literally His breath. uh, I think Derek Thomas in Ligonier, I was listening to him this week, he said it's not so much inspiration as it is expiration. God, God is exhaling His words. An astonishing passage in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, which we talk about a lot, says Peter says that his experience of seeing the Lord transfigured was not as sure as the Word Written. Think about an experience in your life that is special and memorable or you would want to repeat it over and over again, like meeting a dignitary or some experience that you had. You'd want to share that over and over and over again. Peter, I mean, could there be anything greater than the transfiguration, the things he saw, the things he heard? And he says, says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. And he's not even holding Matthew through Revelation. He's holding Leviticus and stuff. He's holding Deuteronomy. That's the shredded wheat for us. It's difficult sometimes to get stuff out of those passages. But Peter says, that is more sure. Wait, Peter, you saw Jesus face-to-face. You heard the voice of God. No, this is more important. See, the Bible is more authoritative than anything else. It's the only authority. It's sola scriptura. It is scripture alone. This week, when we were studying this, in, um, and I knew we were going to have a message like this on Sunday, and we were studying this very subject in our men's breakfast, and there was a 7 statement i said man that could be a ser- that could be seven sermons and i'm just going to list them and and so the three of us that were at prayer breakfast will, will have heard these but here's what the theology book that we're reading talks about regarding the authority of god this is so helpful okay and and, and maybe just write down the key words if you're interested at all okay first of all what is, what is the word of god and its authoritativeness and how did the reformers rediscover this stuff first it is not derived authority. It is original authority. right? The Scripture doesn't receive its authority because we give it its authority. It has authority in itself because it is God's Word. Scripture doesn't become authoritative when we agree with it. It is originally authoritative because it's God's Word. I've got to go real quick, and I'm sorry. If you want these later, I can email them to you or whatever, or you can get the book. Second, it, is an un, it, is, it does not change with the times and culture. It is Here's the key word. It is an unalterable authority. It is an unchanging authority. I don't care about God and the gay Christian. Homosexuality is still sin. I don't care what the culture says about any aspect of sinfulness. If the Scripture says it is wrong, or if the Scripture says it is right, it is wrong and it is right. The Bible is unchangeable in its authority. Third, It is not an authority among many. It is the exclusive authority of God. It is the only authority. Fourth, it is not an authority that will ever be overthrown. It is the permanent authority of God. Again, heaven and earth will pass away. It is not a subordinate authority. It is the ultimate authority. There is nothing that it is beneath. Six, it is not suggestive. It is the obligatory authority of God. In other words, when it says it, we must obey. And last, and I know I'm going real fast because our time is short, it is not a benign authority, it is a consequential authority. In other words, to reject the authority of God is to do so at your own peril because there will be consequences for it. Now, applications. What application we make? I wrote down three. And I just did this last night. Um, I usually just want to let the Holy Spirit make the application in our lives. Okay, we have talked at length about the importance of the Scripture and Scripture alone. And I thought, Andy... Uh, where are you at in this? And so I just started writing things down for myself, and maybe this fits you. I made three applications. I will acknowledge the Bible as God's word. And i got more to say about that, but I will acknowledge the Bible as God's word. And that statement strikes me. As I'm, I'm looking and reading and thinking about and talking about the Word of God. Uh, I do not need to wonder what God is saying. I do, need not, I do not need to ask God for a sign. I do not need to wish that God would speak. He has spoken to me. Because, of, because I will acknowledge it as God's Word, I will trust it. Because it was without error, it is sufficient for every one of my needs. It is sufficient for me to grow to be like Christ. I do not need anything else to grow like to become like Christ other than God's word. It is sufficient for evangelism. I do not need to lead our church to try to manufacture something else to win Christ. I will not package the gospel in a way that will make it palatable to unbelievers. I will trust in the authority and power of God's word to change my life and others. That's the first application. Second, maybe you need to do that. Second, I will stop acknowledging that the Bible is God's Word. That kind of sounds ironic, but listen to the whole statement. I will stop acknowledging the Bible is God's Word while still continuing to ignore it. I will stop being hypocritical by announcing my love for God's Word while I do not maximize time in it. I will seek to memorize and meditate on the Word of God and seek to have the attitude of the scripture writers who have stated it is more necessary to me than my food. As our passage states right here, it is more desired to, be, to me than gold and is sweeter to me than honey. See what I'm saying? I, in my first application, I will say that the Bible is God's word and trust it for my every need. In the second statement, I will stop being hypocritical by saying, I really believe the Bible is God's word, but I don't spend very much time in it. See what I'm saying? I hope you get that. Number three, last application. I will put myself under the authority of God's word and I will stop rationalizing my lack of obedience to it. I will seek to stop thinking like the culture and seek instead to be saturated by God's word. And I believe that applying these three things in my life and us together would truly bring about the Reformation in our heart and life and in our church. May God help us in this idea of sola scriptura. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful this morning to have the privilege of your word and for the men and women who, who died, that we might have it. Help us in our applications, Lord, to be sincere in our desire for your word.